let's get situated here. Uh, Judges chapter 19. Um, I think I think if if you were to ask me what my favorite verse is, it's man. Like I said, I, I hate picking one, but the one that I would uh, that always recurs, and I actually have a well, the bracelet broke now. I had a bracelet, a blue bracelet that had that quote there, and it was uh, Luke Luke fifteen. Um, Luke 15, verse 5, he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He tells us to abide in him. But the part that 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 really sticks out to me in that scripture is he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's been a mantra of mine for so long, um, that apart from him, I can do nothing, nothing. <clears throat> um, and so it teaches us to abide in him. And that's been... Uh, it's been the story of my life over the past few few years. Um, apart from him, I can do nothing. It reminds me of my dependence on him, and um, and it postures me appropriately. With that being said, guys, for those of you who are here for the first time, we've been reading through the entire Bible. That's what we're doing. We're coming together. We're reading through the entire Bible. Uh, we've read through the entire New Testament. Some of you have journeyed from the beginning, reading through the entire New Testament. And uh, and now we Luke 15 um, and now we are journeying through the entire Old Testament. We've gone through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. And now we are reading. We're finishing Judges today. And so we're reading Judges chapter 19. If you can't go and turn your Bible there, we're asking three questions in our time together. We're asking the Lord, what is he revealing concerning himself? What is he revealing concerning people? And what is he revealing concerning me okay what is he revealing concerning himself what is he revealing concerning people and what is he revealing concerning me those are the three things that we're going to be reflecting on uh meditating on and then i spent another 30 minutes ranting so it's really 20 30 minutes reading 20 30 minutes ranting and then we go about our day this is my uh, daily habit and i would like to invite you to eavesdrop in on this daily habit and i believe it will be transformative for you and it has been for many of you um so let's get right to it judges chapter 19 and we're going to read verse 1 and it says this first before we do that let's pray father i ask in this moment lord that you would Speak to us, Lord, as we close out this book, as we close out Judges, Father, I ask that you would uh, just be with us, Lord, today. Lord, dwell with us as we engage in your word. Lord, reveal to us the truth of your message. And, and Lord, the revelation of who you are and your heart and your will and your plan, Lord, give us conviction and correction where it is due. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Verse 1, Judges 19, verse 1, and it says this, And it came to pass in those days, there was no king in Israel, that there was a certain Levite staying in, a remote, in the remote mountains of Ephraim, and he took for himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. But this concubine played the harlot against him and went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah and was there four whole months. Then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and bring her back 
having a servant and a couple of donkeys with him. So he brought him into her father's house. And when the father of the young woman saw him, he was glad to meet him. Now, his father-in-law, the young woman's father, detained him. He stayed with him three days. And they ate and drank and lodged there. Then it came to pass on the fourth day that they arose early in the morning. And he stood to depart. But the young woman's father said to his son-in-law, Refresh your heart with a morsel of bread and afterward go your way. So they sat down, the two of them ate and drank together. Then the young woman's father said to the man, Please be content to stay all night and let your heart be merry. And when the man stood to depart, his father-in-law urged him, so he lodged there again. Then he arose early in the morning on the fifth day to depart. But the young woman's father said, Please refresh your heart. So they delayed until afternoon and both of them ate. And when the man stood to depart, he and his concubine and his servant, his father-in-law, the woman's father, said to him, Look, the day is now drawing toward evening. Please spend the night. See the day is coming to an end. Lodge here that your heart may be merry. Tomorrow, go your way early so that you may get home. However, the man was not willing to spend the night. So he arose and departed and came opposite Jebus, that is Jerusalem, with him, were the two saddled donkeys. His concubine was also with him. They were near Jebus. And the day was far spent. And the servant said to his master, Come, please, let us turn aside into the city of the Jebusites and lodge in it. But his master said to him, We will not turn aside into the city of foreigners who are not of the children of Israel. We will go to Gebeah. So he said to his servant, Come, let us draw near to one of these places and spend the night in Gabeah or Ramah. And they passed by and went their way, and the sun went down on them near Gabeah, which belongs to Benjamin. They turned aside there to go in to lodge in Gabeah. And when he went in, he sat down in the open square of the city, for no one would take them into his house and spend the night. Just then an old man came in from his work in the field at evening who also was from the mountains of Ephraim. He was staying in Gebeah, whereas the men of the place were the Benjamites. And when he raised his eyes, he saw the traveler in the open square of the city. And the old man said, where are you going? And where do you come from? So he said to him, we are passing from Bethlehem and Judah toward the remote mountains of Ephraim. I am from there. I went to Bethlehem and Judah. Now I am going to the house of the Lord. But there is no one who will take me to his house. Although we have both straw and fodder for our donkeys and bread and wine for myself, for your female servant and the young man who is with your servant, there is no lack of anything. And the old man said, peace be with you. However, let all your needs be my responsibility. Only do not spend the night in the open square. So he brought him into his house, gave him fodder to the donkeys and they washed their feet and ate and drank. As they were enjoying themselves, suddenly certain men of the city, perverted men, surrounded the house and beat on the door. They broke into the master's house, the old man saying, Bring out the man who came to your house, that we may know him carnally. But the man of the master of the house went out to them and said to them, No, my brethren, I beg you, do not act so wickedly, seeing this man has come into my house. Do not commit this outrage. Look, here is my virgin daughter and the man's concubine. Let me bring them out now. Humble them 
and do with them as you please. But to this man, do no such vile, do no such a vile thing. Do not do such a vile thing. Goodness gracious. But the men would not heed him. So the man took his concubine and brought her out to them. And they knew her and abused her all night until morning. And when the day began to break, they let her go. Then the woman came as the day was dawning, fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was, till there was light. When her master rose in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went out to go his way, there was his concubine, fallen at the door of the house, with her hands on the threshold. And he said to her, Get up and let us be going. But there was no answer. So the man lifted her on to the donkey. And the man got up and went to his place. When he entered his house, he took a knife, lay hold of his concubine, and divided her into twelve pieces, limb by limb, and sent her throughout the territory of Israel. So it was that all who saw it said, No such deed has been done or seen from the day that the children of Israel came up from the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it. Confer. Speak up. Judges 20. So all the children of Israel came out from Dan to Beersheba as well as the land of Gilead. And the congregation gathered together as one man before the Lord at Mizpah. And the leaders of all the people, all the tribes of Israel, presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 foot soldiers who drew the sword. Now the children of Benjamin heard that the children of Israel had gone up to Mizpah. And the children of Israel said, Tell us, how did this wicked deed happen? So the Levite, the husband of the woman who was murdered, answered and said, My concubine and I went into Gilbeah, sorry, Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin, to spend the night. And the, ben, and the men of Gibeah rose against me and surrounded the house at night because of me. They intended to kill me, but instead they ravished my concubine so that she died. So I took hold of my concubine, cut her in ten pieces, and sent her throughout all the territory of the inheritance of Israel. Look, all you are children of Israel. Give your advice and counsel here and now. So all the people rose as one man, saying, None of us will go to his tent, nor will any turn back to his house. But now this is the thing which we will do to Gebeah. We will go up against it by lot. We will take ten men out of every hundred throughout all the tribes of Israel. A hundred out of every thousand and a thousand out of every ten thousand to make provisions for the people that when they come to Gebeah and Benjamin, they may repay all the vileness that had been done in Israel. So all the men of Israel were gathered together against the city, united together as one man. Then the tribes of Israel sent men throughout the tribe of Benjamin, saying, What is this wickedness that has occurred among you? Now, therefore, deliver up the men, the perverted men who are in Gebeah, that they may put them to death and remove the evil from Israel. But the children of Benjamin would not listen to the voice of their brethren of the children of Israel. Instead, the children of Benjamin gathered together from their cities to Gebeah. To go, to go to battle against the children of Israel, and from their cities. And at that time, the children of Benjamin 
numbered 26,000 men who drew the sword, besides the inhabitants of Gabea, who numbered 700 select men. Among all his people were 700 select men who were left-handed. Everyone could sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not miss. Now, besides Benjamin, the men of Israel numbered 400,000 men who drew the sword. All these were men of war. Then the children of Israel rose and went up to the house of God to inquire of God. They said, which of us shall go up first to battle against the children of Benjamin? The Lord said, Judah first. So the children of Israel rose in the morning and encamped against Gebeah. And the men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin. And the men of Israel put themselves in battle array to fight against them at Gebeah. Then the children of Benjamin came out to Gebeah. And on that day, cut down to the ground 20,000 men of the Israelites. And the people that is, the men of Israel, encouraged themselves and again formed a battle line at that place where they had put themselves in array on the first day. The children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until evening and asked counsel of the Lord, saying, Shall I again draw near for battle against the children of my brother Benjamin? And the Lord said, Go up against him. So the children of Israel approached the children of Benjamin on the second day. And Benjamin went out against them from Gebeah on the second day, cut down to the ground 18,000 more children of Israel. All these drew the sword. Then all the children of Israel, that is, all the people, went up and came to the house of God and wept. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. So the children of Israel inquired of the Lord. The ark of the covenant of God was there in those days. And Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, stood before it in those days, saying, Shall I yet again go out to battle against the children of my brother Benjamin, or shall I cease? And the Lord said, Go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them into your hand. Then the children set men in ambush all around Gebeah. And the children of Israel went up against the children of Benjamin on the third day and put themselves in battle array against Gebeah as at the other times. So the children of Benjamin went up against the people and were drawn away from the city. They began to strike down and kill some of the people as at the other times in the highways, one of which goes up to Bethel and the other to Gebeah, and in the field about 30 men of Israel. And the children of Benjamin said, They have defeated before us as at first. But the children of Israel said, Let us flee and draw them away from the city to the highway. So all the men of Israel rose from their place and put themselves in battle array at Baal Tamar. Then Israel's men in ambush burst forth from their position in the plain of Geba. And top 10,000 select men from all Israel came against Gebeah, and the battle was fierce. But the Benjamites did not know the disaster that was upon them. The Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel, and the children of Israel destroyed that day 20, 25,100 Benjamites. All these drew the sword. 
So the children of Benjamin saw that they were defeated. The men of Israel had given ground to the Benjamites because they relied on the men in ambush, whom they had set against Gebeah. And the men in ambush quickly rushed upon Gebeah. The men in ambush spread out and struck the whole city with the edge of the sword. Now with the appointed signal between the men of Israel, the men in ambush, was that they would make a great cloud of smoke rise up from the city, whereupon the men of Israel would turn in battle. Now Benjamin had begun to strike and kill about 30 of the men of Israel, for they said, Surely they are defeated before us as in the first battle. When the cloud began to rise from the city, and the smoke calmed, the Benjamites looked behind them, and there was the whole city going up in smoke to heaven. And when the men of Israel turned back, the men of Benjamin panicked, for they saw that disaster had come upon them. Therefore they turned their backs before the men of Israel in the direction of the wilderness, but the battle overtook them. And whoever came out of the cities, they destroyed in their midst. They surrounded the Benjamites, chased them, and easily trampled them down as far as the front of Gebeah toward the east. And 18,000 men of Benjamin fell. These were men of valor. Then they turned and fled toward the wilderness, to the rock of Rimon. And they cut down 5,000 of them in the highways. And they pursued them relentlessly to Gidom, and 2,000, and killed 2,000 of them. So they all fled. Of, they all, so, so all who fell of Benjamin that day were 25,000 men who drew the sword. All these were men of valor. 600 men turned and fled toward the wilderness of Ramon, and they stayed at the rock of Ramon for four months. The men of Israel turned against the children of Benjamin and struck them down with the edge of the sword from every city. Men and beasts all were found. They were all set. They also set fire to all the cities that they came to. Last chapter. Now the men of Israel had sworn an oath at Mizpah, saying, None of us shall give his daughter to, a ben- to Benjamin as a wife. The people came to the house of, the, of God and remained there before God till evening. They lifted up their voices and wept bitterly and said, O Lord God of Israel, why has this come to pass in Israel, that today there should be one tribe missing in Israel? So it was. On the next morning that the people rose early and built an altar there and burnt offerings and peace offerings. The children of Israel said, Who is there among all the tribes of Israel who did not come up with the assembly of the Lord? For they made a great oath concerning anyone who had come up from the Lord at Mizpah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. And the children of Israel grieved for Benjamin their brother and said, One tribe is cut off from Israel today. What shall we do for the wives? What shall we do for wives for those who remain? Seeing we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them our daughters as wives. And they said, What one is there from the tribes of Israel who did not come up to Mizpah to the Lord? In fact, no one had come to the camp from Gabesh Gilead to the assembly. For, for when the people were counted, indeed, not one of the inhabitants of Gabesh Jabesh Gilead was there. So the congregation set out there 12,000 of their most valiant men and commanded them, saying, Go and strike the inhabitants of Gabesh Gilead with the edge of the sword, 
including the women and the children. And this is the thing that you shall do. You shall utterly destroy every male and every woman who has known a man intimately. So they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead, 400 young virgins who had not known a man intimately. And they brought them to the camp of Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. Then the whole congregation sent word to the children of Benjamin, who at the rock of Ramon and announced peace to them. So Benjamin came back at that time and they gave them the women who they had saved alive of the women of Jabesh Gilead. And yet they had found they had not found enough for them. And the people grieved for Benjamin because the Lord had made a void in the tribes of Israel. Then the elders of the congregation said, what shall we do for the wives of for what, what shall we do for wives for those who remain since the women of Benjamin have been destroyed? And they said, there must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin that a tribe may not be destroyed from Israel. However, we cannot give them wives from our daughters and from the children of Israel. That's one an oath saying, curse be the one who gives a wife to Benjamin. Then they said, in fact, there's a yearly feast of the Lord in Shiloh, which is north of Bethel on the east side of the highway that goes up to Bethel to Shechem and south of Lebanon. Therefore, they instructed the children of Benjamin, saying, Go lie in wait in the vineyards and watch. And just when the daughters of Shiloh <clears throat> come out to perform their dances, then come out from the vineyards and every man catch a wife for himself from the daughters of Shiloh, then go to the land of Benjamin. Then it shall be when the fathers or their brothers come to us to complain that we will say to them, be kind to them for our sakes, because we did not take a wife for any of them in the war. For it is not as though you have given the women to them at this time, making yourselves guilty of your oath. And the children of Benjamin did so. They took enough wives for their number from those who danced, whom they caught. And they went and returned to their inheritance. And they rebuilt the cities and dwelt in them. So the children of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family. They went out from there, every man to his inheritance. Verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The word of God. If you've been paying attention and you've been journeying with me throughout the entire Old Testament, you would um, you would see uh, the full breadth of what is transpiring in this moment. We've been reading through the whole story, and now we've gone to this point in the scripture. And to be honest with you, as I read it, um, I, I feel burdened by it. Um, I'm profoundly burdened by what I've read. This should, in your initial reading, this should cause some form of distress. If it doesn't bother you, if what you read doesn't bother you, then I don't know. I have, I, I question your 
<laughs> you're initially at least if it doesn't bother you initially i, I don't know I, I i i'd like to say i question your your humanity <laughs> if this doesn't bother you if they made this into a movie and this was a scene in a movie this would be the kind of scene uh kind of sequence in the movie that could leave you having a hard time sleeping at night it could leave you being um, bothered and restless and disturbed. It's disturbing, to be quite honest with you. Um, it's disturbing. It's disturbing. And so as I read it, it's burdening me as I read it because of the disturbing nature of these last three chapters. And what these last three chapters are doing is they're prefacing what we talked about and we closed with yesterday. We're in Judges 17 that we read yesterday. Remember I told you, at the end of the day, the book of Judges is not about the judges. We call it the book of Judges. But the book is not really about the judges. The book is about the demise, the moral demise of the children of Israel. Judges is about how these chosen people of God fell to the moral abyss that they're in because they allowed a little bit of Canaan to dwell in their land. Joshua ends at a fairly high note. Judges ends at a very, very low note. When we begin in Judges, at the end of Joshua, things are, are looking good. They just captured the land. Joshua, it ends with Joshua um, reiterating the law to them because remember, the Lord gave them this land to be a nation governed by his law. That's why when we read the law in the Old Testament, that law was not written to Christians. It was written to the children of Israel. That's why when you read the Old Testament, you're reading Exodus and you're reading all these things. It's funny how Christians like to, to read those as, as a bunch of laws that are written to them. And yet you're, you're putting yourself you're making yourself a character in a story that you are not a part of. This is not, this is not your part in the story. Your role hasn't showed up yet. This is not about you. You don't insert yourself in there because it's not for you. The Old Testament was not written to Christians, but it was written for us. It was written for us to reveal to us the story of God's people. And, and the reason why is because the story of God's people leads implication for us. We won't fully understand the, the, the breadth and the width and the depth of what Jesus actually accomplished until you actually remove yourself from the Old Testament. The Old Testament was not written to you. It's not about you. So when you read all the laws and the Mosaic law and 
in, in Exodus and Leviticus and people read all these laws. They go, so which one of these am I supposed to do? So which one of these do I follow so I can be a good Christian? It wasn't written to you. This was about God instituting a new government. He was instituting his righteousness, which is also his justice, because the word righteousness and justice are the same thing. God was instituting his government. And God put this land and he gave this land and he gave it to Abraham. He gave this land to Abraham. The children left Abraham. They left the land because of a a famine, went to Egypt, but then God brought them back to this land. And now Joshua ends with reminding now the next generation of the law that was given to the generation before them. And he gave them a warning. He said, choose this day whom you will serve. Joshua ends at a high note. They've won the land. But Joshua told them, choose this day who you will serve. Because Joshua was telling the children of Israel, you better choose what law you're following. You got two choices here. You can choose to follow yourself. Or you can choose to serve under the law and the rule of Yahweh, God. I am. And the other thing that Joshua warned them of is he said, be sure to eradicate the Canaanites in the land. Why? Because the Canaanites were a wicked and evil people. The Canaanites were wicked. They were evil. They were an influence on the people. Now we get to judges. And when Joshua ends at a high note, Judges ends at a profoundly low note. We're closing judges with a graphic, a graphic, graphic sequence. This Levite who has a concubine. For those of you who don't understand Jewish law, a concubine was essentially his wife. Okay. He loved her. This was not, um, this is not how we treat side chicks nowadays. It was different. Again, these are an ancient people. And so for all intents and purposes, while the text uses the term concubine, it's by better, by a better estimation, his wife. And this Levite comes from Bethlehem in Judah. And he's crossing over to get to the mountains of Ephraim. He gets to the city and he rests in the city. When he rests in the city, the Benjamites come in and they ask to rape him. They ask to rape him. Instead, the, uh, the old man in the text gives away and offers his daughter, but instead they take his wife. And instead they, the text tells us they ravaged her. You guys know what that means. I know there might be kids here. This is why I said judges is hard um, to read to your children. They ravage her. Imagine a sequence. Imagine a film sequence where this woman is being ravaged all night by the Benjamites who were the chosen people of God. They ravaged this woman. And once they returned her back to 
the priest, the Levite. The Levite kills her. The Levite kills her and divides her into 12 pieces. Chops her up into 12 pieces. Just, I know we read it, but let me, I want to make sure y'all with me here. So you guys see what's happening here. Chops her up into 12 pieces. Sends those pieces to every region in Israel. Sends her parts. And then causes a ruckus in the land. They all now meet uh, in Gebeah. And then after they meet there, a battle ensues. Because this very thing is not acceptable. This is an act of evil. And this battle ensues. And these children pay very close attention to what's happening here. Fight. 25,000 Benjamites die. Thousands upon thousands of Israelites die. This is a bloodbath, family, which started with the gang rape of a Levite's daughter. And the crazy thing about it is, is that it doesn't stop there. Once they've nearly eradicated the Benjamite nation, the Benjamite tribe, they literally went into the city and they burned the city down, killed all the women and children. They literally wiped out an entire race and a small group of them escaped and ran off. And when they looked to restore the Benjamite tribe, did you hear this? When they looked to restore the Benjamite tribe, they knew they made an oath not to give any of their daughters to the Benjamites. So instead, what they did was, is they went into another nation in Jabeth Gebeah, and they went there and murdered And killed all the inhabitants of the land and the women, all of them, and left simply the virgins. They literally wiped out a nation of people, a genocide of people, just so they can take the virgin girls. And then when they found out that there weren't enough for the Benjamites, they went and they kidnapped the young girls, because when they say women, you have to understand the text. When they, talk, when they talk about women here in the text, you have to understand these, these aren't 30 year old women and 40 year old women. They literally, while they were doing a dance celebration, they would grab these, these young teenage girls. These girls are probably somewhere between the age of 13 and 18. And so they went in ruthlessly and swiped and kidnapped all these young girls and they went into them. You have to understand, this was not, again, this is Hebraism. They knew them. What does that mean? These are all Hebraisms. What they were saying was, is 
they took the girls and they made them into slaves became wives and yes they had call them rights call them whatever you'd like but they forced themselves on them and these young girls now became the Benjamites wives that was just a cliff note and that was the PG version of what just transpired what we just read if you leave the book of Judges going oh that was great and that was wonderful if you leave the book of Judges with that then you did not read it right because Judges doesn't end in victory Judges ends in profound moral turmoil and decline Judges when you look at these people the question I think for all of you that all of you should be asking is who are these people? Like who are these people? This is this is a level of wicked. Just so you know, I know some of you watch Game of Thrones and you think that's graphic and nearly pornographic and violent and all of that. You guys have seen some 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 crazy stuff on TV. The Game of Thrones is a is PG compared to what we see here. Some of those graphic films that you've seen in those times. This is PG. This is disturbing. This is disturbing. And you know what makes the whole thing even more horrific? This was not. This was not the. Um, the evil Canaanites. This wasn't the horrible Gibeonites. This was not the Jebusites, the Hivites, the Hittites. This wasn't the Philistines. Not those evil people. This wasn't the Nephilim or all the other evil people that we knew out there. This wasn't any of those people. This was the children of Israel. The chosen people of God. The chosen people of God who had made a covenant with God at Mount Sinai. This was the chosen people of God who reinstituted the covenant at Mount Sinai. The same promise that was made with Abraham was instituted at Sinai, reinstituted. And then afterwards, we had Leviticus and they went and they cultivated the covenant. This was the people that God chose to be the nation of priests who would show the world what God was like. This wasn't anybody. Are y'all catching me here? I know, I know I'm going slow and I'm, I'm slow cooking this thing because I need you to dwell in that. I need you to dwell in that. From a gang rape to an entire nation of people fighting with one another to thousands dying in bloodshed to in the end 
what we can say is emblematic of sex trafficking. We just got to say what it is. We have to say what it is. We have to acknowledge what it is. We got to rest in what it is. We have to actually, we got to sit in that. Let's sit in that. Are you hearing me, family? Let's sit in that. So where do we go from here? You know, the question that I have, and I and and, and again, I, I'm I'm trying to I know this is this is probably going to be one of the most painful of of uh reading rants. But we have to we have to family, this is why we journey in the scriptures. We gotta admit what's actually there and we gotta sit in it. We have to sit in it. We have to acknowledge what's actually there. And we have to sit in it. And you're saying, why? Why should I sit in that? Why should I? Why should I? Why should I read this? Like, why, why should I? Why should I endure this? Why do I got to? Why do I got to? No, we're skipping that scene. Let's move on to a better part of the story. You don't get to move on to a better part of the story because you need to know why the other part of the story transpires. There's, there's, there's two things here that I want you to leave with family. I know, I know this is heavy. I know it's heavy on a lot of you who have just read it. And I know it may be triggering to some of you and I apologize. Okay. I apologize for that, but I'm just pointing out the scripture and I'm just pointing out what is here and I'm pointing out what is said because it needs to be said. It needs to be read and it needs to be heard. The whole point of this scripture is to point out how profoundly depraved we are as human beings. This is us. This is us. The chosen people of God. This is us. It's so easy to point at the chosen people of God, point at the children of God and see the level of depth and of evil and abasement that they've lived in and all that's transpired. But we got to, we got to admit, this is us. This is us. And what this should reveal to you is that even though they were chosen by God, and even though they were given the law, they were given the Ten Commandments, they were given the promises of God, they were given all these things. And even after receiving all those things, they still ended up here. The reason why they ended up here is because the law cannot save anyone. It is anything you get out of this, the law ain't making you better. The law won't make you better. The law won't save you. Knowing the law, having Exodus, having Leviticus, having numbers, having all these laws and all these rules, and even hearing the voice of God and having an encounter with God, seeing God in the cloud, seeing God in the mountains, seeing God in his temple, none of those things will fix you. 
These are people who have heard from God and were chosen by God, and yet look at where we find them. And if anybody really wants to be real, and this is really the moment of healing for for a lot of us, is we got to say, you know what? I've been doing this for a minute. I was given the law. I was given rules. I was given what it meant to be a good Christian and all the things I need to do, be a good person, to be called, to be all of this. But deep down inside, you know who you are behind closed doors. You know who you are in your heart. You know who you are in your mind. You know who you are. You know who you are. Judges was meant to expose the condition of man. That is the point of judges. That is the point of judges. That was the purpose of judges was to, to, to point out that this is us. Y'all, this is us. We, we all have this. We can do this. You can do bad all by yourself. You don't need anyone to teach you to be this kind of evil. It's in you. And what you see here transpiring at the end of this is in every one of us. It's in every one of us. You say, what? The gang rape and and the killing and the murder and the kidnapping. This is literally, we're seeing everything that's going on in the world today. Right here. Right here. If you're you're looking for child trafficking and sex trafficking, there it is. Right here. Boom. We just found it in Judges. For, For man to murder and kill the wife the concubine that has just been ravaged the entire night and he kills her and and, and dismembers her into 12 pieces. Oh, there's so much in this text. There's so much in this text and, and I know it's heavy because I'm, I'm, I'm literally, I'm boiling up inside and I'm, man, I'm boiling up inside. I'm seeing this and I'm going, Oh, But you know what I'm asking, family? How did we get here? That's what I'm going to call this. That's what I'm going to call this episode of this podcast. How did we get here? How did we get here? Family, how did we get here? How did we get at the beginning of Joshua? They just won the land. They have the law. They're the chosen people of God. They've got it all together. And to end here, at this point, how did we get here? How did we get here? And I know there's somebody right now that's asking themselves that question. I thought I knew God. I thought I had a relationship with God. I thought I had it together. And yet I'm looking at myself and I see myself in these people. How did I get here? There's some people right now who are who are reading this going, you know, maybe it ain't that, but man, there's some stuff I'm doing right now that I'm looking and I'm now examining myself and I'm asking myself, how did I get here? How did I get here? How did I get to this place where I've become this person that even though I've been chosen by God, but yet my life looks worse than that of the Canaanites? How did we get here? 
Is anybody asking that question? How did the children of Israel get here? How did the chosen people of God get here? How did they get here? We started so good. Judges started so good. And now Judges is ending with this? This is how you end a book? How did we get here? I, I'm telling you, I'm so burned. I'm sorry if I get if I get emotional, I get passionate. But this is my time with the Lord, and I'm prayerfully reading through this, and I'm asking God, like, how how did we get here? The answer is actually the last verse in the book. The last verse in the book is the answer. Read it. Go back. Read the last verse in Judges. The last verse in Judges tells you how we got here. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Did you read that? The answer is right there, family. Judges concludes with how they got there. Judges concludes with why they got there. They got there because there was no king in Israel. They got there because everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is a an anticlimactic ending. But it's been leading us up to this point. That's why I pointed it out yesterday. What did I say to you yesterday? I said, remember this verse. Because what Judges is all about is Judges 17, verse 6. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Identical verse. We opened up today's reading in verse 19. And it came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel. He's telling you that the problem was that Israel had no king and everyone did what was right in his own eyes, 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 eyes. whatever seemed right and good for himself. That's how he got here. He got here doing what he thought was best for himself. He got here living his best life. He got here pleasing himself, protecting himself, preserving himself. He got here making it all about himself. He got here 
This is how he got here. Israel got here trying to do what was best for themselves. Israel got here not being ruled by anything other than their own emotion and their own pride and their own ego and their own mentality and their own way of thinking. It was his own eyes. 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 It was his own thought. It was his own heart. He was doing what he thought was good. Man does what is right in his own eyes. This is scripture now. And it says, in the end, it leads to destruction. What is right to you leads you to destruction. It's actually what's good in our own eyes that leads us to destruction. It's actually what seems right in our own eyes that leads us to our demise. It's actually what is right in our own eyes because now we become our own gods and our own rulers. And because we rule and we govern and ourselves, we, 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 we fall into everything that you saw. There was nothing going on with Israel other than they stopped looking at what was in God's eyes. And they started looking at what was in their own eyes. Wasn't that, hold on a second. Wasn't that the temptation from the beginning? Wasn't that how we got here from the beginning? Isn't that why sin came into the world from the beginning? Hold on a second. Let's go, hold on a second. Go to Genesis 3 for a second. I'm sorry. I'm bouncing around for a minute, but we are closing out the book. So stay with me. I'll be done in a couple of minutes. I know. I know. I don't want to hold you hostage, but let's get this. Let's let, let me sure get this out of the way. Can we go back for a second here in Genesis chapter three? Hold on. And in Genesis chapter three, if you look at verse three, you know, let me read verse one. Verse one, the serpent was now more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. This is the fall of man now, family. And the woman now replies to the serpent and says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent says to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You'll be able to rule your, your own way. You'll be able to rule for yourself. You'll be able to do what is right for yourself because you are your own God. And what does Eve do? It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, I knew that was somewhere. I knew I've seen that somewhere. It looked good to her now. It was pleasant to her eyes because now she saw it for her own glory and desirable to make one wise because now it's my own glory. It's what I want. It's me, myself, and I. It's me living my best life. It's me living my own truth. It's me doing what I what is best for me. It's me living out what I want to live out. It's me doing me. If I could just, could just do me, let me do me. And just in one book, Israel doing Israel has now turned into Canaan. Because in those days, there was no king. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes.
I'm going to leave you with some closing thoughts. And I want you to say something. And you can put it in the chat. I want you to affirm this. It's about the kingdom. Just put that in the chat. It's about the kingdom. It's about the kingdom. I want you to put that in the chat. This is not about your best life. It's about the kingdom. It's not about who your boo or your husband's going to be. It's about the kingdom. It's not about your finances or your money. It's about the kingdom. It's about the kingdom. It's always been about the kingdom. God has been in the business of establishing his kingdom on earth. God is establishing his rule on earth. God has always been about establishing his justice on earth. When he told mankind to have dominion, he was talking about rule. Mankind was an ambassador who served under the kingdom of God. God was enacting his authority, his righteousness, his justice on earth. And the moment that man broke away from it, now mankind was trying to build his kingdom inside of a kingdom. And when you build a nation inside of a nation, the nation within the nation becomes a slave. That was the children of Israel, a nation inside of a nation, Israel inside of Egypt. And because Israel was inside of Egypt, Israel fell into captivity. This has always been about the kingdom. So if it is about the kingdom, then there must be a king. I like how people say, well, you know, I'm, it's about the kingdom of God. It's about the kingdom of God. It's, that's all it's about. Guys, it's all about the kingdom of God. So if it's about the kingdom of God, or if we say it's about the kingdom, then there has to be a king. So the question that I have to ask is, is it you? Or is it someone else? Who is king over your life? Are you king? Are you just seeking to live your best life? <laughs> are you, are you, because this is what happens when we choose to serve a different law. When you try to build a kingdom within a kingdom, it leads to bondage, slavery, and in the end, death and destruction. Yeah, I know how we got here. We got here because there is no king. We, we got here because everyone is doing what is right in his own eyes. We got here because everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So what do we leave with judges? What do we leave with? What we leave with is the following reality. We need a king. The children of Israel are leaving the story at the bottom, at a, 
at a moral bottom. They about lost the tribe, and the only way that they preserved their tribe was through child trafficking and genocide. The bottom. And yet I leave with this profound awareness that we need a king. Did you hear that, family? We're leaving with the tension that we need a king. I need somebody to rule my life. There needs to be a ruler. My kingdom isn't good enough. I need the kingdom of God in me. My kingdom won't do it. I need another kingdom. No, this 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 kingdom that I've been building, you know, I've been trying to build this kingdom in my home and yet my marriage is falling apart. I've been trying to build this kingdom in my life and yet it's brought me to affairs. And immorality. I've been trying to do my own kingdom, but my kingdom is leaving me bitter and greedy. I've been trying to do my own kingdom, but it's left me being a person in the dark that I hate. So the question is, we keep doing what is right in our own eyes, or will we submit to the king? I know we have a little bit of attention. And we're not going to get to the resolution of the tension all the way until the Gospels. And we're not going to get the resolution of that tension all the way to Revelation. But Judges is making it very, very clear. The problem that the children of Israel have right now is they do not have a king. So I invite you today to forego your own rule. I invite you today to forego me, myself, and I. I invite you today to seek a better king. The scriptures call him the king of kings. The scriptures call him the Lord of lords. By the way, there's so much to unpack in this text that I don't get to I don't, I don't get, I, I'm just not afforded that. Maybe we could do it in a Bible study one day. But I just feel the Lord leaving us in this tension. And I feel the spirit of God really, really, really um, compelling me to just lean in on this. Is today, as you close and as we finish the book of Judges, I want you to ask yourself the question, who is my king? I don't get to consult with my king. I don't get to argue with my king. My king is my king. He has authority over my life. Who has authority? We want the grace of God, but do we want to submit to the authority of God? And in a world that wants to do what is right in his own eyes. God's calling you to rule on a different government. You have a king. And when you rule under that king, that establishes the kingdom of God. 
And Jesus says it very clear. Actually, Jesus' message was about the kingdom of God. He came to be the king, to restore all things, to establish his government. The scriptures tell us in the foreshadow of Christ that his government will be upon his shoulders. It's saying that there will be a government, a new rule. This rule will not be governed by me, myself, and I, but this rule will be governed by the grace and the love of God. The law is love. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy did nothing for these people. The Ten Commandments did nothing for these people. They had the Ten Commandments, and yet here's what they turned into. So I invite those who have grown up thinking, I just need to know what the Bible says. I invite you to stop reading the law because the law was not for you. But submit to the authority of Christ in your life. Like submit to his authority, not just believing in him, but submit to him. Because, man, if you leave with this, you should know your propensity to, to do evil. When I read this, I know my propensity. I know what I'm capable of. I, I'm going to close in prayer. But before I do, I want to share one last thing. Uh, my, I was meeting with a group of pastors uh, who I'm uh, instituting as my accountability you know I know I have an online church and a ministry online but it's a church and it's a community and we're starting to now grow the community and we're we're moving into to to bringing in more structure and we're starting to move now into where God's calling us next as a community and a church online leading people to discipleship all that good stuff and I'm instituting now board of elders who I'm accountable to. And I remember a year ago speaking to one of them and he said, what's, what's your biggest need right now as a pastor? What's your biggest need? And my answer to him was my biggest need. Yeah, I need money. Cause you know, I gotta be able to pay bills and paying bills aren't, isn't an easy thing for me right now, but yeah, I need money. Sure. And I, you know, I need people. I need people who will help me push this vision forward. And yeah, I need that too. And I'm, I'm praying for that. But my biggest need, my biggest need is accountability. And he was like, well, explain. I said, because I know what I'm capable of. As a man of God, I just have to read the scriptures to know what I'm capable of. When I read that, I go, I know, I know what I can become. I know what, like, I know who I can be. I know, I know what I can be without Jesus. I've seen it. It ain't good. It don't look good. And I never, ever want to be that guy. I know what a life without Jesus is like. It brings me back to what I was saying before in Luke 15 when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's in all of us. I know what my life is like when I'm king. So no, I will not be king over my church. 
because I'm a horrible king. But I'm going to serve under the king. So I said to him, if I don't get if I don't get some accountability quick, and that's why I was my thing. I was praying for brothers who can hold me accountable. I was living fine. I wasn't having any issues. I still don't. For all intents and purposes, um, I'd like to think I'm, I'm doing well. I'm doing okay. But I know what I can become. And judges exposes that. So no, I won't rule over my church. I won't rule over my home. No, Christ rules over me. I don't do what I want. I don't exercise my power. No, Christ rules my life. So my question for you, family, is does Christ rule your life? Does Christ rule your family? Does Christ rule your marriage? Or are you still living on me, myself, and I? We close with judges, with attention. Now, I don't know why, but I, I don't want to release that tension. I want us to stay here, and I want us to sit in it, and I want us to be a word of conviction as I close in prayer. Because we have a king. He's a better king. He doesn't rule with power. He rules with love. He doesn't rule by taking away. He rules by giving all of himself. He doesn't, he doesn't rule. He doesn't rule with influence. He rules with submission. He doesn't, he rules in a whole, his government is different. His government is a government of love and of grace and of mercy. His government is a government of generosity and giving. His government is a government of not how do I preserve my life, but how do I give my life? His government is a government about not what, what can I keep and gain for myself, but what can I give to, to those who are around me? His government is not a government of simply seeking what's best for me, but his government is a government of healing. And God wants to heal this nation. He wants to heal this world. He wants to heal our people. And he wants to rule through us. He wants the kingdom of God in us. So let's pray this prayer. May his kingdom come. May his will be done. May he rule over us in every department and dimension of our life. May he rule. May we submit to his rule in all that we do. Father, I just thank you for each and every person who's watching this right now, who's attending right now. Lord, we believe with attention. I don't know why, but I'm just compelled to sit in that tension, Lord, today. Lord, knowing how desperately we need you. How profoundly short we fall of your glory. Lord, we fall so short of your glory. Our rule is one that leads to destruction. And yet, Lord, you've given us the rule that leads to life and flourishing. So, Father, I pray right now. Lord, that you would remove any temptation that leads us to rule in our way, however we want to do it, in the way that we want to do it. Lord, that we would rule in submission to you, not what we want, not my will, but your will be done in our lives. 
So, Lord, give us this day, this daily bread. And let us eat on it. Let us dwell in it. Let's covenant with it. Let's dine with it throughout this entire day. And let it transform us as it is convicting us. And may, Lord, and Lord, may we rule, knowing, Lord, this is not us. This is not our life. But that we would give it all in submission to you for your glory. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen.